Welcome to The Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to The Drummer's Pathway podcast. As creative artists, we all have the challenges of staring at the blank page and struggling to find the motivation to bring our artistic visions to completion. Although this can be a solitary process at times, we can often find joy and inspiration through the collaborative process. It's essential that we learn how to overcome these obstacles and by developing a strong work ethic and becoming adaptable to the challenges that are presented to us and learning how to interact well with others through these processes we are capable of creating some amazing work. My guest today is Mike Treblecock. Best known as the leader of the power-pop punk band The Killjoys, Mike is a prolific film composer, songwriter, producer, and multi-instrumentalist. He has created unique scores, themes, and songs for feature films, theatrical productions, and podcasts, including the theme for this show. He is also the singer, songwriter, and guitarist for the horror rock band Cemetery Spawn, which features music for many of the films that he has been the composer for. Mike continues to be in demand for his work in many genres and situations. In our interview today, we discuss his background and how he developed his interest in songwriting and composition. We also discuss what it's like to work in collaborative situations and why it's important to be adaptable in order to help others achieve their own artistic visions. Let's get started. So, Mike, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for having me. As a multi-instrumentalist, you have gone on to establish yourself as an in-demand songwriter, composer, and producer who has done work for albums, television, live theater, and films. What were your early musical influences and what inspired you to become a songwriter in the first place? Uh, I think uh, going way back, I mean, I've said this before, but Bert Bacharach, I I realized that all of the songs I liked as a kid were all by the same writer. I realized this way later in life, but uh, so I guess that could be called an early influence. I think, you know, probably another very early influence would would have been my mother who used to uh, bribe me into washing the dishes with her by uh, promising harmonies. We'd be singing harmonies while washing the dishes. So I think that that really got me into uh, the, the the feeling of harmonies and music, uh, participating in it, uh, you know, at a very young age. And, and another uh, early influence in that respect, um, I remember a family friend at a campfire playing a guitar. And at the time it was a huge monster of an instrument that I was amazed that you could get sounds and music out of this thing, you know, then, uh, uh, cause it was, it looked like a boat to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to, to watch him play, this was, was an amazing experience too. So, and I think that got me sort of into, uh, uh, the fascination uh, with me. So you are primarily known as a guitar player, but you are a monthly instrumentalist who has dabbled in a lot of different things, including the drums at times in which you have developed some fundamental skills in what led you 
in addition to the guitar and what also inspired you to take up other instruments? My first instrument was bagpipes, actually. So uh, I started off as a, uh, uh, you know, and, and while I was doing that, I was singing, obviously. So I, I, it all sort of uh, snowballed uh, from there. So whenever I, I've, it also comes from not often having the budget to pay other musicians. <laughs> so I've sort of been forced in a lot of cases to do a lot on my own. So, uh, um, and I still do that. I've, I'm able to hire more people now, but uh, I still will uh, take up as many instruments as possible. I still don't have a proper piano or keyboard. So I, I have a, my, my skills are rudimentary on uh, on piano, but um but you know, I know how everything works. I can get sounds out of things. Uh, I still have, I played sax in, in uh, high school and I played it since. I still play sax on scores. And uh, uh, so uh, I know how wind instruments work, percussion, obviously. And uh, and I read music as well. So I can I can translate what's on the page into real life in most cases. Having some fundamental skills as a drummer and other instruments as well, does that make it much easier for you to create natural sounding parts? You do a lot of programming for, for drums, but the parts that you do create sound very realistic. So having that fundamental background, do you find that makes it much easier? Uh, for me, and as far as drums and percussion go, I think it's it, there's a lot of air drumming involved before, because obviously listening to the old, you know, Kiss records and things like I did as a kid, I got adept at air drumming. So, and I think, and I still do that before I put a part down. I still uh, air drum it and make sure that everything pretty much makes sense for a for a player. Uh, that's that's as far as drums go. Uh, same thing for sax in a way i know what the parts would be and i know what i can you know i've played in big bands so i know what the different players will play uh so you know these are again these are skills that i've gathered over the years in different having different situations being in different bands in different styles of music so in the early 90s, you formed the successful Canadian power pop punk band, The Killjoys. As the principal songwriter, guitarist and frontman for the band, you went on to release three studio albums and a live album before taking a break for a number of years. Looking back, what were some of the highlights of those experiences and what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned? Um. I mean, I did love touring with the Killjoys. I love, uh, I loved playing live and it, you know, it was the nineties. It was a different time. It was a little rough at times that there was a lot of, uh, we were right in the pit a lot of the times that w when we were playing. So, uh, you got good at, at, uh, singing with your lips over your teeth. So your teeth didn't get knocked out. Uh, you're always, uh, you know, aware of that possibility so um so I, I think live was a great thing uh, the touring i really loved i like uh you know just seeing different places and trying to survive as <laughs> on your way so I, I think that was a nice uh challenge uh uh you know for a while we had well for a long while we had uh various tour buses and that was always fun it's like a, it was like a you know a 
years long camping trip was basically what it was like with the Killjoys. Um, musically, we recorded in Memphis. We uh, recorded at Ardent Studios, which um, the the replacements recorded there, which was one of our all of our favorite bands, and uh, and Big Star, of course, recorded there as well. Jody Stevens is still running the place. Uh, so that was a thrill to record at Ardent Studios with uh, Rick Clark, another great guy and great producer. And um, uh, so where else did we record? We recorded at Grant as well, which was an experience. I loved recording in, in our hometown and just uh, being able to go down the street like we did on the first record. We recorded at a, above a shoe store on John Street and uh, um, used a lot of environmental sounds in that we didn't take out all of the hammering from the shoe the shoe maker downstairs but my experience recording in some of the local studios in the hamilton area is very much similar but first you're not quite sure what door to go through and you kind of usually go up <laughs> a sketchy set of stairs um yeah, but there's the, some the, good experiences and and it creates kind of a good hometown atmosphere and, and vibe yeah and just being able to go home after you after you record too. I mean, in Mem- Memphis was another thing because uh, we were out of town. So we again, we had to we had to be in a hotel and which is also fun when you're steps from Beale Street and there's always something going on. So um, but yeah, I also enjoyed sort of going back to the hometown vibe of uh, of Grant uh for our new stuff uh tim hevesy who owned soho common recording house on john street uh and he also mixed uh i think we together mixed gimme five as well so he's mixing our new stuff as well so it's kind of all gone again full circle so we start we have our team that we like to hang out with and we all trust each other and and know that each other is good at their job. Right. So it's nice to have that team. Yeah. And and those things are really important. You know, the collaboration aspect is great, but you also have to find that you collaborate with the people that you trust in order to help make your vision what you intend it to be. Yeah. And we know, we pretty much know that it's going to be because we we've worked with them so many times before that, uh, we, we sort of develop a language that, uh, you know, a short form that you can use. I have that same experience with a lot of directors as well. You develop a, a short form uh, way of communicating that uh, you can get a point across really well, or you can kind of almost read their minds. You know what they've liked in the past and what they haven't liked so much. So, so you develop this relationship. Well, and since your days with the Killjoys, you have gone on to be fairly prolific in scoring a number of films and and things for, for television and some live theater. In those environments, because you are often working independently, but yet in a collaborative environment, do you find that the what the artist or, or what the director is looking for is fairly detailed or are they often coming with you with not really an idea and really trusting your instincts to help bring everything together that that's what happens a lot of the times but uh everyone's everyone works in a different way as well so often uh they'll 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 know they'll they'll know my previous work or they'll have worked with me before or whatever so they'll trust me 
at least as far as a first pass. And then it, then it's just a matter of how many notes I get back. And sometimes it's very few. And then sometimes it's pages and pages of notes. Uh, so every, everybody works in a different way. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, when, while they're making this, there's a, their, their movie, there's a rhythm to it that, that you've got to sort of feel as well as, as, as it comes back to you. So, uh, you you do have to be sensitive to what, what, what their, what their vision was and what their rhythm is of the movie. And, you know, sometimes a visual suggests even a style of music, not just a tempo, but a style and, a and, uh, instrumentation. Uh, so you've got to be really sensitive to what the movie needs because you're you're telling the story as well. So you've you've got to sort of go along with it, help it along when it needs it, uh, stay back when it when it needs you to stay back. Um, maybe it just needs a little a little something to to push some dialogue along or or something like that. So um, you've got to be sensitive to their to their needs basically. Now we talked about your early inspirations for songwriting. What brought you into film composition and scoring? I, I was always a big movie fan. I think everybody is. I don't know if people, are there people out there that just don't like movies? I guess maybe there are. I'm sure there are, but it's a rarity. <laughs> so as a kid, you know, I watched a lot of Godzilla movies and uh, uh, I, I love Kolchak, the Night Stalker and Planet of the Apes and and uh and the scores obviously are a big part of that especially planet of the apes what a great score and um so i was always drawn to that um i used to uh the fly this is a later one but the fly by the cronenberg's version of the fly i remember uh in my walkman i would walk around i loved that movie so much i would walk around just with the audio on a on my headphones and, you know, people might have thought I was listening, you know, I had long hair at the time. They might have thought I was listening to Dio or something, but it was actually the fly uh, audio only with dialogue, sound effects, the soundtrack. So I, I learned a lot from that about how the, the, the music, uh, you know, goes in and out around the action, the, the, the sound effects, the dialogue, how it sort of weaves in to the movie um, the way it does. You also do a lot of uh, teaching in terms of film camps and and with uh, sort of the younger next generation. What are some of the challenges that you often find with students in those environments when they want to learn? And what is some of the advice that you can give to people in order to kind of follow some of the same paths that you've gone? Um, I, I sort of... I don't know if I if I encourage people to to go down the same paths that I've gone down, but I do encourage them to to find their own path. I've always thought that school, you know, people always joke that, um, you know, I haven't used trigonometry since you know high school. What was the point of all that? But really, what you're learning is how to learn, right? So, uh, and I think that's sort of the way I go about all of my lessons. It's not just about it's not even about the guitar and the and the and the the film. It's about uh, learning how to learn and and how to interact and how to uh, um, collaborate. In in a way, teaching is a collaboration, and so I learn probably as much, if not more, off my students than they learn from me. So, 
uh, and it's the same in the in the camps. Um, they all bring their own uh, personality and backgrounds and interests and and uh, and uh, goals even to the to the camps, right? So so I let them really try to pursue that, or or you know if they want to hang back a bit, I encourage them to 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 move forward a little bit. But if they want to hang back, there's there's things that they can do uh, on a film set that, uh, you know, you don't have to be, a, 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 a an extrovert on a film set. You, there's, there's so much you can do and, and help with and be proud of. I often find as a teacher myself, that one of the best ways to develop my own skills is to have to communicate those fundamentals to someone that doesn't yet have those skills. And so it's a really great way to kind of yeah. sharpen your skills and really look back and, realize the things that you have developed for yourself and it's a good encouragement in order to kind of keep keep pushing at times yeah. i wish i could go back 20 to 30 years and take some and redo some of the lessons that i did then with the learning capabilities that i now have because like you said you, you have to learn how to learn and that can be inspiring and i find sometimes the more you learn the more excited you are about the things that you still have yet to learn and those new experiences yeah definitely and i know that uh, what was the quote I, it's uh it might even be like einstein or something that said if you can't explain something simply then you don't know the material well enough and so, it, it, you know, it encourages you to know the material so well that you can explain it in a simple way because, be, because really <laughs> everything is pretty simple at the heart of it all. You know, I, I explain it to my students that, you know, when, when, I'm, when I'm trying to describe something like, you know, this really fast section in a metal, uh, you know, song that they wanted to learn. And I'll, I'll, I'll sort of explain how it's done. And, and, uh, you know, something that seemed impossible at the beginning of the lesson, uh, you, you know, within that half an hour, I can sort of demystify the whole thing. Uh, but you've got to really be able to, you've got to really understand it first. Uh, and I also encourage their own paths as well. Like, uh, here are the tools that this person was using to create this. And so I'm going to give you the same tools and give you the same encouragement that you can also create this sort of uh, uh, effect of your on your own. And I think that we've all had teachers in our past that have forgotten that not everyone already has the fundamental skills, things that you take for granted that are simple for you were mm -hmm. at one time things that you didn't know how to do. And so what Absolutely, happens is yeah. that it's, it's really difficult for people to kind of look back and realize that. And I, we've all had teachers that will get frustrated because the student just can't quite get this concept, but they forget that at one point they didn't get it either. And so I, I, <laughs> I really, so I really do find that the characteristics of a good teacher are the ability to reflect upon where you've come from, in addition to being empathetic to the challenges that the student has. And I often find that too many teachers tend to always stick to a curriculum and everything is always the same. You know, here's the student, here's what I'm gonna teach, these are the things that you need to know. And there is value in those, but you have to alter 
what you're teaching based on what the student's learning style, personality, and interests are as well. And so, and I know that you tend to teach that way and you look at everyone kind of as a unique individual. Um, so, and that, that at times can be a challenge, you know, you have to kind of look at, at what you want to teach them, but try and figure out how the student wants to learn. So have you come across situations like that? I think that's the part that's exhausting about teaching in a way is that every student, it's a new ball game and you have to remember what the ball game is for, for each new student. So it's kind of every lesson you're starting again and, uh, you know, remembering their style, their learning style. This is why I'm not, I don't envy teachers in a classroom of 30 kids. Cause, uh, cause I know that every one of those kids has different needs and they need to, they all learn differently. So it's, uh, I haven't actually done it before, so I can imagine that it's uh, it's got to be frustrating at times for students and teachers. Years ago, I used to teach um, some courses at at the local college, and I would find one of the things that I learned is that you have to find a way to adapt your teaching capabilities to reach twenty different students with twelve different learning styles in one approach and so i would always go back and kind of reevaluate how things went and i would never really look at it as it was the student that wasn't putting the effort in it really comes down to the teacher to kind of help guide them and help them kind of find their way and sometimes we forget that not everyone wants to do the same things not everyone who picks up an instrument wants to play in a band not everyone that picks up an instrument wants to perform for things sometimes it's a very personal experience and we have to kind of look and encourage those sort of elements as well yeah sometimes it's just the the act of being at a lesson uh, I know that when I was a kid, uh, I was so nervous around lessons of any sort. I thought, you know, I thought I was getting car sick or something, but I realized later on that what it was, was, uh, I was just so nervous. I was getting sick, uh, just going to an art lesson or, a or a bagpipe lesson or something like that. Uh, and I, and I do remember that for my students and I'm very, you know, I acknowledge that that might be their feeling as well. Sometimes that they're, they're just so nervous going to maybe some lessons that, that they need to be, they need to feel really comfortable at their lesson. Well, and I often look at it as if the teacher isn't willing to go outside of your own comfort zone, how can you expect a student to be willing to take those risks at the same time, mm -hmm. too? So I, I know for myself, I'm not a singer, but I have spent many times in lessons with students singing songs and trying to kind of you know, be silly, just try and get a reaction from them. And yeah. that suddenly makes things fun. And then when the student is having fun, they're now listening. Um, yeah. Whereas if you're just kind of just telling them what they need to do, you're lucky sometimes in a half hour lesson to get four to five minutes of actual attention from the students, particularly at the younger age. So I think it's important, as you sort of said, to, to make things fun for the student um, and make them excited and always end the lessons on sort of a positive note so they can't wait to come back for the next week. Yeah. And, you know, non, again, I keep going back to non-musical uh, things in, in lessons, but I think 
sometimes they're excited to tell you something or they're, you know, they want to tell you about their new dog or, you know, and I think this is completely fine and healthy and productive even because, uh, you know, sometimes they're there to, uh, you know, they're there to do their lesson and they're, but you're, they're, they're getting in a, 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 the perspective of another adult besides their parents mm-hmm. and teachers, you know, it's sort of a different relationship, but, uh, it's still a, an adult perspective so that they might be wanting your, your take on something. And, you know, I know stalling when I see it, but you know, oftentimes they do just want to, uh, get a new perspective from, uh, from another adult. In fact, although in fact I've actually been asked if I was a kid on more than one occasion by kids, are you a kid? And uh, I have to tell them I'm not. It's uh, sad. I, I once had a student tell me that she really wanted, you know, she was a drum student, but she really wanted to be the singer in a band. That was her goal. Yeah. And and she said to me, I I know that when I'm a singer in a band, I think it'd be really cool to have you as my drummer, but, and there was a pause and I looked at her and I said, but I'm really old. Right. She goes, yeah, you're really old. So we had a kind of good laugh, a good laugh about that as well. And then I, I let her sing a song and then we got back to the drums because you have to, you have to let them go on their tangents because that's whether it's the instrument that they're there to study with you or something else, you want to inspire them to love music. Mm-hmm. And if that means that they want to, you know, take a couple minutes and dance around the music studio, or they want to get up and sing a song. And that's important because these it are is. all the things that help to develop confidence yeah. and help them get over their, you know, their, their fears on things. And, and you want to, you want to make things fun. And I know because you and I have worked at the same music schools, um, we've had a lot of those types of experiences as well too. And so, and there's some, there's some joy in that, but at the times you said, sometimes those situations can be exhausting. Now we both work in a lot of situations where we do a lot of collaboration and collaboration is also a skill set that you need to learn because when you get a whole bunch of people that are together in certain environments to work on a collective goal, it doesn't always mean everything is going to go smoothly because everyone wants to put in their inputs and everyone's got a vision for how you want this to be. So what are some of the points or, or advice that you would give to people to enter into collaboration and to be successful in those opportunities? Uh, I would say find one person uh, to funnel everything through. Yeah, because even if there's nine decision makers, uh, you've got to find that one that one person that you can that you can get an honest opinion on both sides from. And there's often, depending on their role. There's, there's often a person that you can do that with. Uh, the other thing is, and, and everybody on the, on whatever the collaboration is should know as well, uh, just sort of stay, stay in your lane, you know, and, uh, and, uh, even if you have opinions about, you know, the lighting or (laughs) whatever it may be in a theater production production or, you know, uh, uh, you know, I mean, if you're asked, it's okay to, to, uh, 
to say something lightheartedly or whatever, but as far as, uh, you know, just, just sort of, uh, keep to the, keep to the music, right. Just keep to your, keep to your own lane. Uh, I think those are the, the two main things really, uh, having someone that you trust on the team that you can funnel things through and just sort of sticking to stick, stick, sticking to what, you know, the best. And I know that you and I have done a lot of work together in the past. And there are times when you have asked me to kind of just interpret or do things that I feel, but the, the information that you provide me is usually so detailed and so good in the first place that I really want to appreciate and sort of value what you've already put into these. And so I find for me, that's how I like to look at these collaborations. It's just a way to help better the vision that you already had. And, you know, my air drumming isn't always accurate. So, I mean, it often is, but, uh, you know, sometimes uh, I do, I write things that maybe a, a player wouldn't actually play naturally. So uh, it's nice to have uh, the actual player's input as well. I know you once said to me years ago that one of the things that you liked about me as a drummer is that when you're air drumming along to certain songs, that when you hit certain things, I'm actually playing those parts because I've learned <laughs> the songs correctly in the first place. And so right. you're not embarrassed. And so it's I took, a satisfying experience. Yeah. So, so I took that as a compliment. I, I once worked in a band years ago we had a production crew that had been with the band much longer than i was in the band and the sound guy once he got everything set would sit there and just air drum along to the shows and then he would hit certain things if i missed a certain part he would look at me and he would point at me and he would laugh <laughs> even though he wasn't a drummer and couldn't play the songs in the first place he it's there are just certain things that you that you get used to being there and, yeah. and, and I think, you know, when you're learning material, it's important to make sure that those elements continue to be there. Well, drums are, you know, the, the melody is a hook, the, the guitar play, the, the guitar parts are a hook and also the drums are a hook as well. I mean, I think the greatest drummers have always played the song, not just played the drums. And so they've got unique parts that are, that are actually hooks like, a, like Ringo Starr, you know, every song is different. And each song has its own, its own hooks and its own style. There's never, there's rarely anything that's just completely straight and hookless. It's, there's always something interesting going on. So I love drummers like that. I, I remember being at a rehearsal once for a production where we were doing um, a recreation of the Beatles Abbey Road album. And we were working on a second half, which is a medley. And I remember being really nervous because everyone in that band had worked together before, but this was my first experience. And I remember being halfway through the medley. And at one point, there's a part where I, where, you, where Ringo kind of hits the bell of a cymbal. There's no other drums going on at the time. It just hits the bell of the cymbal. And so I did that in the rehearsal. And then the, the band stopped and they looked at me. And at first I thought, uh-oh. I made a mistake and I'm <laughs> yeah. going to get fired because I'm really, I, you know, because I'm working really hard at this, but I'm going to get fired. And they turned around and they said, that was so perfect because we forgot that that part is there. And then you just get so used to having them. So the fact that you played it meant that, oh, my God, we realize how important the little elements are. And I found for yeah. myself, because I had a lot of experience when I was younger playing in, in orchestras as, as a percussionist, 
there would be oftentimes when you had one symbol crash in the whole mm -hmm. piece. And so you would, sit counting. There, you would sit there and count 186 <laughs> bars of rest because on bar 187, you would have to hit that crash symbol. So you would count your 186 bars. You would stand up, you'd pick up the symbols, you go to hit them, and then the conductor will stop and then go back and they want to do it again. So you, but you have to be respectful of the things that are going on. Yeah. You, have, you have to be respectful of things that are going on just because it might only be one note. It might only be one part, but that part can be significant in the whole grand scheme of things in terms of the composition. And you have to be respectful for that. And, and I think some musicians have the discipline for that and some musicians don't and that's okay but it's all about really trying to find the right situations that work for you yeah and i back to your the beatles experience there the uh <clears throat> i know that in my own band you know they they might have been playing with another drummer previously and things as an as you as an ensemble when you're you know after you've learned stuff it starts to evolve away from the original source material and before you know it, you're playing something that's completely different. When I go back, you know, after, you know, a few years or whatever, and the Killjoys want to play a show, uh, I'm surprised that we, how far away we had evolved. And it's like learning it all over from scratch again, because, uh, uh, you know, we're playing it completely differently than what was on the record. So yeah, you can even trick yourself sometimes. I am I'm a huge fan of Stuart Copeland and the police. They were probably one of the most influential bands in my own personal style. And then I remember when they reunited back in uh, I think it was 2007 to do a reunion tour. I, I watched an interview with them with regards to the rehearsals. And they had commented on the fact that, you know, we were one of the biggest bands in the world for so long. We had huge success. We had played thousands of shows, but then we didn't play together for 20 years. And we got back together going, this is going to be easy. And they said, and we sounded terrible. We sounded really bad because collectively as musicians, we were all much better musicians than we were in the earlier days, but we all followed different paths. And then so when you bring different paths together and try and recreate something that you had originally done before, it's not easy because you have to re-gel those personalities. And they said it took two days before they went from sounding terrible to not sounding that bad. They said they now sounded like a garage band. <laughs> and then the following week, they sounded like a pretty good college band. And then about the third week, they started to sound like the police again because they started to yeah. rebuild that chemistry. Um, and and that's just part of you know being a musician. I've, I've been in bands before where you you know, everything is second nature. And then I'm out of the band, but I might get called back to, to fill in. And you realize how much those arrangements have changed, but yet there are certain elements that are still sort of second nature. And that's, that's the fun about, you know, working with the right musicians that you have that chemistry with. And it's not just, uh, to, not just chemistry too. And you, when you, you think, you know, often I think I imagine it with the police as well, but uh, we were so much younger when the, when the Killjoys first started out, you know, in our early twenties and uh, things that you do now are so much, now that you know more things that you do now are, are so much different than you would have done then. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I'm learning the songs again now and I'm thinking, why, why did I do that? 
<laughs> why would I, that doesn't even work. It does, it does, of course, but the answer is I didn't know what I was doing. So that's why I did these certain things. Right. And I mean, it sounded good to my ear and, uh, but, but sometimes theoretically it's kind of, uh, inscrutable, but, uh, but, uh, you know, and I think at the time I just thought, well, it, it works, you know, I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't using theory a lot, uh, when I was, uh, writing for the killjoys, although I did, uh, sometimes I learned a lot from, uh, Mohawk College, actually, a lot of jazz harmony, a lot of uh, voice leading, things like that. So uh, I was uh, incorporating a bit of that actually into into some of the parts. Um, but anyway, now when I look back and I and I I'm trying to just uh, re relive the mindset, and it's a it's it's a trip for sure. Oh, absolutely. What are some of the current things that you're working on that you are able to share and what are some of the things that you still hope to uh, accomplish as you're in your career as a songwriter and a composer uh right now as like today i'm working on shingles the movie which uh i love the sort of the the sense of humor and the and the the each uh it's a it's an anthology each story has sort of its own uh style visually and and story-wise one's about aliens one's about zombies one's about you know so uh each uh each each segment has its own musical uh, approach as well so that's that's a fun one to work on and i love it's it's sort of mad magazine slash south park national lampoon type of humor obviously uh i do a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff which i love um I think one of the future ones that I'm excited about is uh, Kaiju um, Island of Fire, it's called, because that's the the idea is we're going to get a full orchestra for this one. And and at least for, you know, the, the tentpole moments in the movie, we're going to get a full orchestra. So that's exciting because uh, that's something I've been working towards forever. And uh, uh what else? I'm working on an action film. So sort of uh, getting out of the, uh, you know, horror comedy world for, for a little bit. So an action movie uh, by William X. Lee called, uh, what is it? Walking on Scorched Earth, I think it's called. Uh, that's coming up. So that's an exciting one too. Um, uh yeah, I think that's all that's all I can think of right now. But I, I mean, oh, there's a, a camp slasher. I'm also going to be re using real instruments, but a, a much smaller ensemble for, for this movie called Tin Roof. Um, oh, and one <laughs> another one called Kilgore in the Grizzly Abyss, which is a, a puppet uh, populated uh, sword and sandal movie, I guess you'd call it. Uh, it's not really swords and sandals. What would I call it? It's like sort of like, like a like a Conan the Barbarian, but with puppets, sort of thing. I don't know. Is that swords and sandals? That's. Uh... I I think that's a good classification <laughs> okay. for that. Yes. So, and I can't wait for that one either. So I've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Uh, that that again, I've that, that has been a goal for a long time. Using more live instruments, more live players. Uh, and incorporating more of that all the time as the budgets increase. 
And I think because of budgets for a lot of these sort of things, that's one of the things that takes your collaborative process and generally makes it fairly independent because you are in the situation where you have to do a lot of this yourself. Now, one of the things that I also really respect about you is you have an exceptionally good work ethic when it comes to putting these projects together and to complete things within the timeframes that you are given because we both know when you're working in the creative field that everything always happens at the last minute and there are times when you're ready and available to do the work but you're waiting on something from another collaborator or director to give to you that ends up being given to you about two or three weeks later than you actually need it to be but now they need everything done in a couple of days and so i really do respect your commitment and your capabilities in order to kind of bring everything together and to make things happen always on time even if it's literally at the last minute yes and uh sometimes it's very at the last minute uh sometimes it just takes a, a lot longer and you can't you can't wait around either you've got to move on to the next project because there's another person that has a deadline as well uh and so far i i mean it is a lot of it is a lot of hard work but uh, i've been able to make everything happen uh one way or another so uh, uh yeah even if you have overlapping projects then that means less sleep that's all um so uh but i'll 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 go through hell or high water i'm going to get that thing done so <laughs> that's i guess that's a work work ethic you know as we kind of get close to the end of this looking back at your experiences and we already sort of touched upon this a little bit earlier but what are some pieces of advice that you can give to anyone that's looking to you know just to become a musician or to get into composition or and are, and are a little intimidated in terms of about how to start from your experiences what are some things that you can suggest to really kind of help people just take that first step i'm not sure about the first step i would i would say look i've narrowed it down to sort of three things uh uh stick with it is the first one which is just you know uh um, there's, there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows, uh, financially, personally, um, uh, that you've got to roll with, uh, whatever's going on. So, uh, if you've got the, the, the intestinal fortitude, <laughs> that'll push you through all of this. And, uh, and it's not, it's not easy. So, but it's also, extremely rewarding and worth it every minute of it. So um, stick with it uh, was the first one. Stick with it, diversify, because as you know, I do, I'm the you know, songwriter with uh, Killjoys and other artists as well. And so songwriting, film, theater, uh, TV, just doing, doing things that I, I stick to projects that I really love, but I'm also uh, doing a diverse, um, all the situations are unique, right? So, so that's what I mean by, by diversify. Um, and teaching is also in there. That's another a diverse skill that I've sort of worked on over the years. Um, and the last one is live simply. 
um, which I've mastered as well, I think. So, uh, you know, still, still eat a lot of ramen noodles and, uh, no matter what I'm making money-wise that week, if I'm, I could be making a million bucks, I could be making 10 bucks and I'm still going to eat those ramen noodles for lunch. So, um, but it's, it's more, more like just knowing how to, how to survive on, on a little bit and knowing how to survive on a lot, uh, you know, at the same time and, and just trying to make it work. But living simply is definitely the best uh, route to go. If you're doing contract work, you can, it'll get you through the tough times. Right. So, um, I remember I was going to, in the nineties, I was going to write a recipe book just on, uh, recipes for craft dinner and how to, uh, how to live off that and make it fun and, and, uh, <laughs> and tasty at the same time. But, uh, I remember years ago I was in a bookstore and I saw this book that was a collection of recipes by famous rock stars. And the one, <laughs> yeah. and the one that caught my attention was Frank Zappa. And his mm -hmm. recipe was for burnt weenie sandwich. And so wow. what he basically said was, you come, you come out of the studio at three o'clock in the morning, you're hungry, you go to the fridge, your kids have eaten everything in your fridge. There's a couple of hot dogs, you take the hot dog, you're too tired to cook, you turn on your stove, you stick it on the <laughs> element, cook it so it's enough, put on a piece of bread, there you go. And that was a recipe in the book. So yeah. So I can relate for uh, sure. As you said, sometimes it, it, it's about it's also simply. one of his albums. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's about about living simply and, yeah. ju and just um, enjoying the, the big picture because it's really easy to get frustrated and to give up. But not everything happens right away. You have to look at, you know, a lifetime of creativity as opposed to um, just kind of one little experience from here because it's it's those are the things that kind of make who you are as an artist and as a person yeah and you know you sort of uh you forge your own way right so i you know and, and i've made a lot of sacrifices i guess you'd call them sacrifices i don't i don't own a lot of things i don't i don't even have a car right now i take you know, it's bicycle and public transit and uh i don't have kids i don't have uh, a lot of things that I think a lot of people, that's their main goal. Uh, but my main goal has always been music and, and just making a go of it uh, with a life in music. So, Well, and I think one of the challenges that we can sometimes have is that there's sort of the world perspective as to the paths that musicians all want to follow. But we don't all want to follow the same things. And sometimes no. that, for me, I know that's a struggle, whereas I sometimes look at the opportunities that I haven't had because I never took those opportunities. And then mm -hmm. there's other things that I follow that I realized were not the right opportunities for me. So I had to kind of reevaluate what was important to me and be okay with not necessarily fitting into the, the perception mold that, you know, that the world has sometimes for people that work in the creative field. And that's when, once you find that, that's really when you start to feel content. Yeah. There's a particular time, I'm beyond it now, but there's a particular time in your life when all your friends are getting married and they're all having kids and they're all having houses and, and cars and they're, they've all taken this path and you sort of feel like a bit of a loser for a little while there. But then, you know, as time passes and you're still doing what you love, that you realize that that, that just wasn't for you. Uh, so, um, 
you know, you've just got to get over that hump of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses and looking at whatever, uh, what stage other people are at and eventually, uh, not caring. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm at a good place of not caring right now. I have been for years, actually, actually. <laughs> so for people that are interested in learning more about you or would like to connect with you, um, if they want to, you know, have you work on a project for theirs or just to kind of follow your career, what's the, uh, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, I have a website, MikeTroublecockMusic.com. You can check that out. Uh, it's got a link there that you can get in touch with me if you want give me a call, whatever. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, probably too much because uh, I'm on the computer all day long. So Facebook is kind of just, just sitting there. Uh, so, uh, you know, I get notifications and so I'm very easy to get in touch with. I'm on Twitter, all the usual suspects, Instagram. So, uh, yeah, very easy to get in touch. And I'm really looking forward to seeing a lot of these projects that you currently have on the go to come to fruition, because it's always a joy just to kind of watch how, how diverse a lot of these things are, because I've seen you Well, I've personally worked with you in many situations where it's from, you know, jazz into like metal into rock. Uh, I, and country so and i know we've done some album projects together and and i just i always look forward to clicking on that email just to see what i've gotten myself <laughs> into at, at that point so good so, i'm glad so i'm 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 looking forward to those opportunities i wish you all the best and i hope that this year becomes one of your best years yet thanks michael much appreciated been listening to the drummer's pathway podcast please share and subscribe to get the word out and let's keep the discussion going thanks for listening and i'll see you next time